What does it take to be a world champion? In today's episode of the Chain Clinkers Disc Golf Podcast, we talk to world champion and three-time distance champion Avery Jenkins. He's also the team manager for Discmania and has designed many courses throughout his career. We talk to him about what is that mentality of being a world champion. How did Avery come up through the sport in order to become a world champion? And we learn from him and how we all can improve our own disc golf games. We hear the incredible story of how Avery won his world championship and how he completed something with his sister that probably no other family will be able to do. And we go behind the scenes of how his family is potentially the greatest disc golf family of all time. Not only do we get to hear about that, we also get to hear more about Avery's career in disc golf. And we ask him questions that you might not have heard on every single podcast about how you can improve as well as his own career in different paths he had to take in order to find success. In this episode, we also discuss how Discmania parted ways from Innova and get behind the scenes, never before heard details from Avery Jenkins on how the move happened and what the feeling was within the company and some of the sponsored players. Horatio and I are just two disc golfers who have a love for the game and are constantly wanting to improve. And with the help of Avery Jenkins, we talked to him a little bit about forehands later on in the episode and how you can improve your forehand. So make sure you stay tuned in order to find out how you can also improve your forehand, get more distance, become more accurate, and get more birdies. Today's episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, Double G Craft Jerky. Make sure you check them out and use promo code CC10 in order to save 10% on some of their fantastic jerky that they have over there. Let me tell you what, the black pepper jerky, that is some fire over there. So check out what they got going on. Link in the description below. Thank you guys so much for dropping all the ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you're not already subscribed on YouTube, check it out now. We just did an awesome video last week. We've got videos coming out every Wednesday along with the podcast on Monday and we reviewed the Upper Park shift bag. So if you're looking at getting a new bag, use promo code Clankers10 over at Upper Park. Get yourself a shift bag. Check it out. I explain why it's the best bag on the market. With all that said, let's go ahead, let's start the episode with Avery Jenkins right now. Hi, my name is Avery Jenkins, and you're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. Alrighty, everyone, let's welcome in the 2009 world champion, three-time distance champion, and the team manager for Discmania, Avery Jenkins. How are we doing tonight, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, super, super excited to talk to you. You know, we didn't, I've, I've heard, you know, I guess I knew you were from Oklahoma, but never put one and one together. We're from Wichita, Kansas, so, you know, so he's just down the road. So I guess kind of like a local, we've had another few local pros on here. How far are you from Ron Converse? He's also an Oklahoma guy. He lives in Blackwell, so he's an hour. You guys are two hours away. He's about an hour away. Um, yeah, he's played at the Lodge several times. When we were talking about earlier, I was kind of surprised you guys have not played the Lodge. That's where I live now. It's an hour north of Tulsa in Pawhuska, Oklahoma, and we have two 18-hole disc golf courses on a ranch. I married into the, the disc golf scene here. Um, it's 300 acres, and we have just fantastic courses, a really cool landscape. And uh, like I said before, uh, Moxon Creek is the number one ranked and rated course in the state of Oklahoma. So you guys, uh, you know, you can only play, you know, 
Herman Hill so many times or Oak Park. You know, you need to get down here and play some uh, some Oklahoma golf here soon. Golly, man, you're not wrong. I definitely think, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, definitely I think a goal of Hershey and I uh, this summer is to try to go out and, you know, go to Oklahoma, go to Colorado, Missouri, Nebraska, and, you know, even further a little bit as well, and just try to play as many new courses as we can, experience those. And and so I got to ask then, so is this course private? Do I have to hit you up before I come on? Are you going to have a, the barbecue ready for us? Or, you know, how, how can I play it? Wow. Um, got some requests already. It's, it's a private course, private courses, but we charge a, a $5 per de- player per day fee. It's very marginal. It's just enough to put in the gas tank to keep these uh, courses mowed throughout the year. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to maintain courses. We, it's kind of nice in the wintertime, like through the fall, winter and spring that we don't have to mow as much. Um, but there's a lot of mowing through, you know, kind of April through October, per se and i am uh i am the the head superintendent course pro and uh it i wear a lot of hats as far as keeping these courses in intact and uh my whole family helps out with that as well did you design these courses or are you and the family or how did that i did not uh good friend kevin mccoy he was a top 10 rated player in the world out of tulsa he was on tour and traveling with me quite a bit in the early 2000s and he was born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was uh, about 2007 is when my wife's family, now my father-in-law and mother-in-law, they reached, they, they had this big piece of property, and they reached out to, they did some research online, reached out to the Tulsa Disc Golf Sports Association, Tulsa Disc Sports Association, with uh, just a trying to get something here, trying to get an activity here, a sport here. And when they reached out to them, they sent up a, a couple of representatives, a couple of players. They checked out the property and absolutely loved it and started designing the the first course here, the island course, the original course, in about 2007. And then came back the next year and designed the Moxon Creek course in 2008. And then we held a national tour event here in 2009. And that's when I, I was playing the GBO in Emporia and then came down here for a national tour event here on the property. And that's where I met my... I, my girlfriend then, now wife, and uh, ended up moving here five years later. Has there been any talks or aspirations to get it on the national tour again or even the pro tour? Um, yeah, I just I didn't think it was ready for a while. It's a, it's a lot of work and upkeep, and they're good level. They're good pro level. I don't think they're disc golf pro tour level per se, but I've been wanting to run big tournaments here for a while, especially after – kind of transitioning off the tour as a player and raising a family and now with team managerial duties for Dismania, but also, uh, you know, being a disc golf course um, designer keeps me quite busy and I haven't really dedicated the time or been home enough to dedicate the time to run a big event. And I, I eventually will. I think the courses are, are, are in the shape and, and ready to have a big event out here, but just, uh, haven't done it personally to occupy or, or schedule the time correctly to, to do that quite yet. So, you know, you said it was the number one, you know, rated course in Oklahoma. Tell us a little bit more about that. What, why do you think, what makes it the top rater, you know, other courses, you know, you design courses now, I'm sure you take some of that stuff into account. Um, just what are some of the things about that course that makes it the top rated, do you think? So it was on UDISC uh, two years ago. 2019 maybe 2000 and then 2020 there were we were ranked 61st 61st rated course in the world and the number one rated course in Oklahoma on UDISC and Disc Golf Course Review for the longest time um what makes it 
that kind of course is just a variety and variation. Um, we have just a multitude of shots and it's not the longest course in the world. It's about seven, it's seven, 7,500 feet par 57. So it's three par fours out here, but what it has is just a good mix of holes, good variety of shot shapes out here. A lot of good par threes, a lot of good par, you know, 350, 335, 385, you know, a couple 400 plus, and then we have do have a 700 foot dog leg hole out here, par four, and then another 655 uphill shot. So it's got a good variety of threes, fours, with some water hazards, a little bit of elevation in the mix. Just again, it's just got a multitude of shots and really cool features out here. It's not typical flat prairie Oklahoma. It's we got some rocky terrain and we do got a little bit of elevation out here, which was used correctly and. Uh, yeah, it it plays great. It's just a fun experience for players that come out here, and it's it's not like playing in a in a city park or a state park or a golf course. This is this is ranch golf. It's a little more rugged, a little more raw, a little more rocky, um, but we maintain these courses perfectly. With the just, it's been years of just grading the grass and and mowing it down and and keeping it in tip top shape throughout the season. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the more that we talk about it, the more that I want to hop in the car and get down there. So I definitely know that we're going to have to put it on the list to get down there and be able to play those courses. So I, I want to talk a little bit, you know, backtrack here a little bit. You know, how how did you first initially get into disc golf? I know you had mentioned that you kind of married into this land and this property and you've been a PDGA member since the 90s. You know, how did you initially first get into disc golf? Yeah, I was into disc golf way before I ever came here. That's for sure. Um I grew up in a disc golf family. I started playing disc golf when I was six years old. So I've been playing disc golf for about 37 years at this point. Born into it. Many would say I was conceived in a disc golf basket. Um, with my parents playing early on in the early 80s, mid 80s, um, travel with them quite a bit. When we were family vacations, summer road trips revolved around playing disc golf courses or traveling to tournaments. And so... It was just always, it was always another option. There was basketball, football, baseball, and disc golf. It was always another sport option that I participated in all athletics when I was, when I was a kid and disc golf happened to be one of those. Um, as far as my upbringing in the sport, it was really just kind of playing locally as a kid, playing regionally a little bit, kind of realize where my skill level was and, you know, placing or winning most events when I was younger and decided to just keep, stick with it and keep up with it. Had a lot of fun doing it. And a uh, good fam family support the entire way. Yeah, you know, we were we did a little bit of research on you before this episode, and we were just wanting to, you know, have a little bit more info, um, trying to do some due diligence, and never ever connected the two. Come but, on, come on. You know, we should have, and I'm sure it's probably common sense to most people. But can you tell us who your sister is, for those that don't know? Well, everybody does know is the thing. Um, my sister is Valerie Jenkins. She's the the commentator for the disc golf pro tour. You hear her voice every single weekend at all the biggest events. Um, and then my brother-in-law, Nate Doss, you know, they're a uh, husband and wife and they own Bevel brewery rocking that. Um, it's the, it's the family brewery. It's a family business. And it's kind of nice. They do get to be very involved in disc golf on, on the side and, and doing commentary. And I'm so glad they do. And they do a great job at it. But um, yeah, we're, we're a disc golf family through and through, you know, being my sister, four-time world champion, brother-in-law, three-time world champion. My mom's actually a three-time world champion as well. And my dad was a national tour champion a few times. So it's 
I grew up around disc golf and it wasn't just growing up in disc golf as a little hobby. This was, we were, we were fully invested into what disc golf is and what it provided for us. And it's uh it's a, a family that plays together, stays together. And we were very kind of surrounded with that, that mantra that we, we felt that we were, we were happiest when we were together and, and participating and playing a sport we love. Yeah. 1000%. And that's really something that kind of shows our pandemic player, profile that like literally hear her every single time on commentary and just for whatever reason just did not connect the dots on that but yeah so it, it leads me you know obviously I would I would argue that you probably have the highest pedigree family in disc golf uh, so many world championships to your guys's names I gotta ask you what was your favorite world championship was it your world championship or was it any of your sisters um well it's both of ours for the fact that we won together in 2009 she won two of the two previous the two prior championships in 2007, 2008, and then we won together in 2009 in Kansas City. So that's by far my favorite moment and my most kind of epic moment that I cherish the most is our championship together. Not only her winning her third, but me winning alongside her and being the only siblings to ever do it and probably only siblings ever will. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty sweet record to have, you know, being like, you know, combined winners. You know, and I just, I just had a, I just had a daughter back in August, and you know, one of the things is I'm excited. You know, taking her out to disc golf and playing. You know, you're talking about you grew up in that, and you have kids. How you know? How are you doing it to where it's something also that they love and enjoy, and not that you're just pushing on them and like you're going to love disc golf because I'm a world champion, your aunt's are a world champion, and something that they'll eventually, you know, maybe not enjoy because it was, you know, just pushed on them. How are you bringing them up in that family or I guess just making it enjoyable for them? Yeah. Congratulations, by the way, um, being a father, there's nothing like it. It's one of the best experiences in the world. Um, raising kids. I have two boys, uh, one, seven Arian and Arlo being two years old, five years apart. Um, it's just about exposing them to everything, you know, expose them to all sports, exposing them to baseball, football, basketball, you know, and, and disc golf just being one of those sports, just like I grew up. It's that other sport that I played alongside all the other ones that I love to play. And so it's not about pushing them or persuading them in one direction. I think they'll understand w what I represent and what I do and what I truly love to do and what I like to play. And they might gravitate toward that, but maybe they won't. You know, I'm not going to definitely not going to force it on them in any way, but let them find something they truly love and want to want to be a part of. Um but it'd be, it'd be really hard to kind of go the other way. I think it really to veer in another direction, you know, as much as I love it and much as I, I'm captivated by it, but then there's, you know, there's kids that want to kind of rebel and go a different direction than their parents. And that that's fine as well. Um, I think a good story is, and a good example is Ken Climo, you know, world renowned 12 time world champion. Uh, just, he has a pedigree for being a really good athlete and especially within disc golf. He has a son that grew up around the sport in a sense and always was around his dad when he was younger but never took on the sport he's played i don't know if he's ever played tournaments and i don't think his father ever pushed it on him he kind of let his son do what he wanted to do and if he went that direction obviously there's a little more pressure you know it's like being a son of any you know world champion or any champion within a sport there's a certain expectation uh put on that uh put on that player and I, you know, it's a lot to live up to sometimes. You got to even think like LeBron James kid, you know, like him coming up the ranks 
Bronny about to make an NBA debut, what pressure he has up to to live up to his father's standard. But you just can't push kids. You let them, let them go in the direction they want to go. Yeah, I, I really think that is a fantastic answer because, I, I, and I love the fact that you brought up LeBron's son, Bronny, because that is so true. I, I can't even imagine what kind of pressure he has and, you know, probably going to all the high school games and probably he's getting unnecessary hate for how big and bad his dad is. So, I, yeah, I really like that answer, really respect that answer. And I think that's a good way of also just, you know, I think with the way the game is moving, I think forcing the youth into, oh, we love disc golf, so you have to love disc golf, I think that's only going to hurt the sport, you know, the more that that tries to happen. So just absolutely love that answer. So I want to get back and continue to talk about your journey and maybe talk about, you know, I understand that you said that your parents would, you know, let you play football, baseball, basketball, disc golf, all those different kinds of sports. But what at the end of the day made you want to gravitate back towards disc golf and be like, yes, disc golf is a sport that I want to play and be very competitive at? I actually took a break from disc golf. I played when I was younger. And then once I hit high school, it was more about just the high school scene and having a girlfriend and, 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 and being involved in other things and just took a break from disc golf. And it wasn't until about, I play still put my friends on the side and maybe on weekends, but I didn't play many events until I graduated high school and had more time, a little more freedom. And what really drew me into disc golf is just, I guess just how competitive it is and how well I was doing. Definitely the success drove me to be, more successful or, or one to play more. Um, so when I started playing tournaments, I realized where I was skill level wise. And I'm like, wow, this is fun. This is fun to throw the disc and throw the disc far and entertain myself with those kind of, uh, pursuits. But, you know, once I started winning tournaments and realized how fun that is, uh, I wanted to chase it down and see how far I could take it. You know, you said you, you realized how good you were. Were you just naturally good or after thinking about it, did your, you know, when you went out and played, you know, just for fun with your parents, did they give you tips and tricks and just casually and naturally like train you and educate you and groom you into being a really good disc golfer? I played a lot, I played a lot of rounds and just repetition on itself, you know, you'll produce a pretty good skill level, but you know, my mom being a three-time world champion, that definitely drove me and inspired me at a young age. And then just I guess the natural will of wanting to, you know, be better than your father and, and trying to play against him and compete against him. He was a very uh, early driving force for me to throw farther and, and, and play better. And so that was uh, very inspiring, both my parents. And it was just one of those things that we played together and we played a lot of rounds together and played a lot of tournaments, a lot of courses. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things, you know, success builds success. And the one time you get that, that positive feedback on being good at something and seeing a good return on that, you're like, wow, this is, this might be my calling. This might be my thing. I want to, I want to track this down and, and see what happens. To be honest, I had no clue what it would take me to eventually. I just knew at a younger age, it was a lot of fun and I wanted to continue doing it. Had no clue it would lead to what I'm doing now and, and living the life within disc golf. Like I, there's not a day that goes by I'm not doing something disc golf related, whether it's managing the team, whether it's uh, disc golf course related, whether it's, you know, going through a collection of discs or whatever. Every day has disc golf input in it somewhere. You know, I, I live it. I breathe it. I eat it. It's everything that I do on a daily basis. With playing disc golf that often and it literally being everything within your life, how do you stop yourself from burning out? 
with disc golf? Just, you know, the job side and the playing side. Um, I don't play every day. I said I'm involved in disc golf every day. I don't play every day. Um, being that I live on a ranch and have two disc golf courses, everybody thinks I'm playing eight hours a day, seven days a week. To be honest, like I've only played, we're three months in the year right now, you know, January, February, March. I haven't played a single round on our courses here at the ranch this year in 2022. I've played 25 or 28 new courses in various areas. We went on a a family road trip recently. Um, I was out in Colorado. I was out in New Mexico. And so I've collected and played about 25, 28 courses this time, but I haven't played a single round on the courses that, you know, that we own. So the burnout thing, it is a real thing when you play a lot, but I don't play all that often. You know, I'm only playing once every three days based on just the courses I have this year. But playing new courses, that's another energy. That's something else that drives me is to get out there and play new courses and check them off a list. Like, I absolutely love that. I love I love traveling. I love road trips. I love playing new courses and checking out new venues and, and kind of taking from that what I like, certain features I like on disc golf courses that I want to implement in my designs and other things that, you know, that didn't work out so well that I try to avoid on, on many of my course designs. So... There's not really that burnout. It's it's just what I do. It's just like anything. It's it's like getting up and uh, having your cup of coffee in the morning. It's just what you do and what you do on a daily basis. Disc golf just happens to be that for me. You know, I feel like it's it's you know probably a lot less enjoyable now because there's less stress. You know, not being a professional or on tour in that sense. You know, as some of the you know the guys that are on tour, I feel like it's easier to get burned out that way because it's your job you have to you know feed yourself you know you have to continue to you need that money you need a cash um you know one thing i was talking about with quentin earlier is i feel like the competition in disc golf has grown a lot and i feel like it's a lot harder for a player to you know just be a casual professional on tour show up to a course maybe practice you know once or twice and compete in cash and go on and that's kind of your life I feel like it's it's a lot more difficult and it's more the more competition and there's more players who maybe are having to think about either what's next or if the competition continues this way I might not be able to stay on tour longer because I'm not cashing um and I guess kind of where I'm going with this is, you know, what, you know, those players, what would you say, you know, what, what do you think goes through their mind or how would you suggest, you know, that transitioning phase or looking into the future with the competition, the way it's going, if that makes sense. So you guys are going on your second year within disc golf and seeing it at a very high competitive level. It's been escalating for, for years. It's always getting better and it's going to continue to get better every year. The competition is going to get stiffer and the players are just going to naturally get better. And it's going to be more challenging for those to compete at a very high level every single weekend. And if you're a mid-level pro, that's cash line kind of pro, it's going to be tough to make it. And that's what it should be. You see in every other profession, the best players are the ones that are playing and surviving and, and, and on tour. It is survival of the strongest. You know, and that's the way it should be. When I was traveling and touring, I was one of 10 touring traveling players, possibly less than one of 10. Um, We were traveling in a caravan and we traveled together and we're one big disc golf family. Now there's probably close to 50, maybe 60 players on tour that are traveling and playing every weekend. 
Um, when we were doing it, we were traveling around, going, playing every weekend, traveling over the country, playing tournaments, and I did it for 15 years straight um, in various vehicles and, and motorhomes and cars and stuff. And we would always show up to these these tournament venues where it would be us touring pros versus the local pros, you know, the players that knew the courses really well and they were decent players in their area. And that was always kind of the battle where we would try to go in there and, and try to walk away with more money than we put into it. And so... Nowadays, it's definitely more competitive. You look at the standings right now, there's a lot of top pros that are not cashing at tournaments. A lot of 10, 15, 10, 20, 10, 25 rated players that are substantially down the leaderboard quite a bit. And that just shows the level of the game is increasing. There's a lot more of those really, really good players out there dedicating their time um, to a profession and a career. And it's it's legitimizing the sport. You know, there's a lot of players actually out there making uh, making some pretty good money throwing some frisbees and uh it's it's amazing and it's it's great to see it's great for the sports great for the growth of the sport the exposure it's everything it's stuff we've talked about for the last five ten years and it's finally happening now yeah completely agree and i mean you're right you look at baseball football basketball even pga golf every single time you know if you've got somebody who's just kind of so so or you know maybe they're pretty good in college but they can't really make it in the pro level you they're not going to cash quote they're not going to play they're not going to start they're not going to have a name in the sport and so that's the way that disc golf should be also with it getting more professional and it getting larger i i feel like we're only going to continue to see that and if you really do want to be a pro and be a touring pro your life is not only going to have to be disc golf you're going to have to be good at disc golf like you're not just good like you're going to take it to the next level and work and grind to be the best in the game so my next question here you know Understanding that reality and understanding not everyone's going to be able to do that, I think we've seen some guys and gals take advantage of building a little bit of a name slash brand for themselves in the sport and then being able to go and do other things within the sport, you know, whether it's commentary, making YouTube videos, starting their own business. Do you think that you'll see more, maybe not not necessarily mid-level pros, but just more people I guess, expanding and building disc golf businesses and like phasing themselves out of the game competitively, but instead building something more for the sport to survive longer, I guess. Yeah, you see it a lot. There's a lot of players out there, a lot of player brands out there that are, they're making it. They're, they're getting, they're, they're making ends meet. And I guess they're getting from point to point A to B every single week and still playing and still kind of living that dream. Um, but it's, it's again, survival of the fittest, you know, you're only going to be out there if you can play against the best and compete and challenge and get top tens, top fives on weekends where you're actually affording to be out there aside from other sponsorships and everything else that players are getting this days, um, bonuses, royalties and such. But yeah, there's a lot of players expanding and going other directions because they're not cutting it on tour or they're not making those top finishes. And that's, again, you, you see it in every sport. You know, the best players are the professionals that earn their right to be there, you know, at, at the highest level. And we know what that group of, you know, 40 to 50 players is in the MPO field. And everybody else is just trying to keep up, you know, right now. it's And finding other ways within commentary and doing other things, that's, that's great. And maybe they're finding their way and, and still trying to be involved in disc golf at some capacity. But, you know, I come from an age where... You were a player and that's what you were. That's all you could be was a player and you wanted to be the best at being that player. Um, nowadays, you can go and do other things involving disc golf, 
on tour doing videos, doing commentary, and that wasn't quite available when we were doing it, which put more focus on to, you know, us being competitive and playing our best. You know, so you said you were on tour for 15 years, you know, that's, that's an entire, that's a very long career, you know, in disc golf touring. Um, you know, so there's some players we see every weekend, you know, in, on the leader cards from the top five, you know, Calvin Heinberg, Ricky, you know, there's probably, you know, 10 names that you'll see in and out during the weekend. And then there's another, you know, 20 to 30 players who are just as good, you know, and we see them one weekend. We don't see them for other few weekends. And then they pop back in. You know, what is, you know, you were on tour for 15 years. Why is that? You know, the, we're playing, there's different, there's bog courses, there's wooded courses. You know, you plan for 15 years. What do you think is the hardest part about staying consistent and being able to comp- compete every weekend or I guess having a consistent game? Uh, staying healthy is one of them. You know, being able to, you know, be on tour and and be a part of that grind and playing tournaments every weekend. It it seems like a very lavish lifestyle, and it's it's not by any means. It's it's work. It is work. Once you take it to that level, and there's a lot of like we don't have a lot of downtime. It seems like you have all this time, like you're just hanging out and you have nothing else to do but play disc golf. There's a lot of driving, a lot of traveling, a lot of preparation, a lot of practice, and then by a ter- time tournament comes, you're playing one. You used to play two rounds a day back in the day. Now there's tea times. You play one round a day. Um, but then when a week, when a tournament weekend's in, you're you're focused on your rounds and you're focused on your you know your tournament for the weekend. And so to answer your question, what, how did I do it for 15 years? It's really just staying hungry and and staying passionate, um, wanting to be out there and compete at a very high level. Um, I still love the the competition and I liked playing all the bigger events and I liked traveling and I love going over to Europe and playing disc golf and I'll go over there for a month or two or three at a time and go over there and travel and just play circuits and tours obviously before I was married and had kids but it was that's what I really like to do and that was a lot of fun and this was before we were even really getting compensated to the level that players are now but to be competitive for a long stretch of time is tough is very tough um and you know it's it's, it's definitely a young man's game. There's, there's definitely some, you know, older professionals these days that are surprisingly, very surprisingly good. Uh, a Barry Schultz, uh, a Steve Rico, a Steve Brinster, you know, a Johnny McRae. Like these players are phenomenal at their age, 40 plus and some approaching 50. Like it's incredible to see their longevity over a long, long time and still being very competitive, even against today's, you know, MPO players. Not saying they're going out there and winning these national tour, I mean, sorry, disc golf pro tour events these days, but it's still cool to see them being out there. I, myself, you know, I'm 43 years old. I play a handful of tournaments a year. I really have to go out there. I play the world championships every year. It's just what I do. Um, This is going to be my 23rd consecutive world championship I'm playing this year in Emporia. I'm traveling over to Tampere, Finland um, in July for the the European Open. I'm going to be... Is my tenth European Open I've been a part of, whether I've been a player or doing media, and I'm the only American that's been to every single European Open up to this point. Um, there's a few other Europeans that have been to every single one, but over since 2006, you know, you're thinking 16 years. Like I've been a part of that scene, and I love just being surrounded by, you know, my disc golf family. 
Yeah, that is so, so, so cool, impressive, and, you know, hey, only person who can say that, so that's awesome. So uh, we've talked a lot about the pro tour and kind of what it takes to be on tour and all that consistency, grind, hunger, and all that, and so I kind of want to talk about, you know, what you do for Discmania a little bit. You know, you're the team manager for Discmania. Could you maybe describe a little bit in the beginning, you know, how did you get to that position, and since we've been talking about the pro tour a little bit, could you maybe describe what you're looking for in a sponsored athlete? Good question. Good question. So I am the team Dismania. I, there you go. I am the Dismania team manager. Um, and that's one of the hats I wear within Dismania and the brand. I'm also the sales manager of disc golf park. Um, so I wear a few hats and I have a few responsibilities to the actual company of, of Dismania and disc golf park as a team manager. I, uh, oversee and manage a, a 50 player roster. Um, of various levels of, of players that have been on the team, you know, I think a Simon, an Eagle, you know, a Casey White, a Kyle Klein, a Nate Perkins, like a lot of these players have been on the team for, for quite a few years. And there's a lot of new additions and maybe some younger players on the junior team or ambassador team as well. And so it's just, it's, it's cool to communicate and integrate and see these players uh, aspire to, you know, do great things in the sport. Um, as far as trying to search out these kind of players, you know, I don't just base it off a of skill level so much. I want to find a player that's a good player. They might not be the best right now, but they have the passion and the drive to do something great. But I'm looking for good personality. You know, I travel throughout the country doing a Discmania combine tour where it's a essentially a team tryout. And we go through a, a series of... Uh, disc disciplines if you will throwing disciplines and i i kind of test out these players and see how they perform how they how they compete how well they throw what their technique looks like and really base my decision on what their ceiling is going to be how well are they going to play at their best kind of thing and that's a obviously an evaluation and a scouting report that i personally do and i I've, I've been watching disc golf for a long time and I've seen literally thousands of players throw and, you know, there's certain things you're looking for, you know, you're looking for a, pl- a player that's has that, that, that fire, you know, I, I've seen players where they might not be the most impressive on, on paper or tournament finishes might not be that great right now, but you'll see their drive and their passion that they're going to try to push themselves to be better. And that's kind of what I look at. I look for the total package, a, a good player, on the course and off the course, just looking for a good individual. Um, and then on the disc golf park side, I, I manage a, a, a team of designers. We uh, design courses all throughout the country. Um, one of my, definitely one of my passions in life, uh, aside from playing disc golf courses and collecting disc golf courses, is designing disc golf courses. There's a, a lot of phenomenal courses out there, and uh, it, it's a good thing to have more courses as a sport grows. And the recent expl- you know, explosion of the sport over the last 24 months, there's so many more players playing the game, and they need a place to play. And uh, nothing better than, than creating a, a really cool location, a venue, and uh, a course in some really, really awesome places. And it's, uh, it's on the rise. Over the first three months of you know, this year, incredibly busy with disc golf course designs. Uh, got, I'm working on like, I got at least 20 courses right now in various stages of development from marking to mapping to designing. Um, even some courses that are just going through the clearing phases, you know, and try to get make fairways. So it's, 
I'm involved in a lot of different projects right now and adding more, it seems like every week, you know, it's extremely busy aside from everything else with the family and, and other projects I have going on right now. And then I have several trips right now, um, going to Europe probably like three or four times this year in the next couple of months. So it's pretty hectic right now, just trying to keep my head above water. It's, but it's, it's all for the love, you know, it's all for the love of the game and, and really enjoying it. No, you know, that's awesome. And I mean, I feel like it's very easy to do stuff like that when you're passionate about the sport and, you know, it's been, you've grown up in it. Like it's, it's not really work, you know, it's definitely something that you are passionate about and it's easier, easier to do, even though it's hard work, you know, just on the course design side, you know, you said you have 20 some courses. How many of those are, I guess, you know, city kind of projects, you know, on public, public land and how many of those are private and what's the difference on going down those routes it's one easier it's one harder you know do you prefer doing courses on private land or do you like those you know public spaces working with the city i think they both have their kind of advantages i like the the city park scene because i just like accessibility and i think a, a smaller city park even a short nine hole course in a city park just has so much more exposure and there's more people and players around that area that'll probably access and utilize that course more so than, you know, certain courses that are outside city limits. So just on play rate and round rate, you're going to get a lot more rounds and players through smaller courses in cities. And again, you're, you're accessing so many more players that are going to hopefully share the love of the sport and, and hopefully grow it that way. Um, but I do love designing, um, on golf courses. I like private courses, especially private courses when you have, uh, you know, a, a very ambitious, um, property owner that wants to do great things of, you know, and they might get wild with it. Um, I have, I have a course design up in, uh, up in Toledo, Ohio area. Uh, a good friend of mine has a, a course called the sanctuary. It's private and it's only private to him and whoever he wants to invite to this course. And he's put so much time and so much effort and so much money into this amazing course. And it continues to build and he keeps on creating like ponds and waterways. He wants to build an Island on a hole, like out in the water. And it's just never ending. It's like always continually enhance the property and enhance the course. And that's, that's an amazing work in progress. And I'm so glad that I was, you know, in at ground level and designed, you know, a portion of the back nine and, and overall saw the entire 18 design and develop and, and kind of morph into what it is now. So it's, Private courses, you have a little more versatility, a little more freedom to do some amazing things. Um, all in all, I like designing courses pretty much anywhere, though. City parks, state parks, golf courses, um, even design a course out in California in a national forest. So um, really, uh, I take a lot of pride um, in the courses I design, and it's something that you know you, you kind of leave a part of you on that design. It's kind of your take or your signature um, that you leave on that course, and you want to create something special. And it's something that's going to obviously outlast me for, for decades to come and generations of players to, to follow. Yeah, that is such a cool answer. And I remember seeing a disc golf park coming to, I want to say it was Lawrence, Kansas that I saw. 
probably over a year ago now or so, something in the works. I know I saw it on social media and I was very excited about that because I know that you make incredible courses. And, and I know we talked a little bit about courses here, but I, I just want to go back to kind of the Disc Mania team manager real quick. I, I want to talk about maybe how Disc Mania decided to start manufacturing their own discs and kind of step away from Innova. And I just kind of wanted to ask you, you know, were you involved in all in that decision at all? Was there any anxiety within the business about that decision? And did you have any players who, I don't know, were like scared of having to go to a completely brand new plastic disc type? What was that experience like for you and your players? A lot of layers to that question right there. Um, so first off, I was a Innova sponsor player for 20 years, sponsored by Innova Champion Discs out of Southern California. Um, I won my world title with Innova Champion Discs and and still have great friends and great family through Innova Champion. Um, I was I was sponsored in 2000 is when I got on the team and took it all the way to 2019, 2020 is when I finally full made the full transition to move over to Dismania. I've been with Dismania and kind of crossing over that timeline um, since 2011. So I've been on the team for 2011 and then working for the company for the last five, eight years at this point. Um, so my ties with Innova and Dismania, they run deep. Um, again, a lot of friends, a lot of family work for both companies, but I saw my future with Dismania. There's a lot more opportunities, a lot more mobility, and a lot more of what I really wanted to chase down as far as being a course designer and a, being a team manager. So just the opportunity was there and I, I wanted to be a part of something great as we grow it. So that being, we were manufacturing our discs with a partnership with Innova since 2006. After about 14 years, uh, things kind of dissolved a little bit. Um, certain shortages on things, certain accessibility on things, and even discs that we were ordering, they weren't fulfilling some orders. And we were kind of pushed in a certain direction where we were kind of forced into making our own discs. It was something we always wanted to do. And this is the, probably the best question for you. See, talking about the anxiety and stress of trying to make that business move. We always wanted to make our own discs. And we've I've talked with UC at length about eventually manufacturing and having our own line of discs. But it's 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 a bold play. And it's a, it's expensive play to have your own warehouse and your own machines to manufacture. And we were kind of forced in that position just by you know, the supply or lack of supply. And it came at a good time. And with that, you know, having our own Dismania manufacturing, having our evolution line out of Sweden as well, and then having our Chinese manufacturer being Yukon, we have three manufacturer, three different disc lines. And so we don't have all our eggs in one basket. Like we have good versatility across the board with three different disc lines. And that's one of the things that definitely kept us moving um, through the pandemic when everybody else was shortages and running out of discs and shutting down factories we kept on moving the entire time working all the way through it um we're not the biggest company in the world um but we're probably the most aggressive and the most passionate and the most just ambitious out there and i'm very proud of uh my dismania family and, and the team i support and and obviously oversee and manage it's just a good conglomerate of a lot of quality individuals yeah you know i feel like you guys are amazing on the whole marketing side and we talk about you know, whoever, whoever wins on Sunday sells on Monday. How important is it having those players that are winning and out there on social media and, you know, putting out content and making and being, I guess, a star in the sport? I feel like you guys do a great job, you know, with Simon, with Eagle 
uh, with that, how important is that for a company overall? But, you know, just kind of someone starting a new, you know, doing their own discs and stuff like that. Very important. We, uh, we pride ourselves on, on what we do on the advertised marketing and promotion side. We, we hype things up and that's kind of the, definitely the, the grassroots level, what makes up, you know, our CEO and founder, Yusu Muresma, like he came from an advertising and marketing background. So that's what he did first off. And then disc golf was something that he did on the side and was really passionate about that when he decided to chase it down and, you know, form his own disc company. Um, and disc golf brand being Dismania, he poured everything into it as far as his experience and knowledge within marketing and advertising. And that's why we do it the way we do it. And that's why we have the releases the way we do and, and the graphics and, and the promotion of the products we sell and, and the players we support. We, uh, we, we follow it down and we really, we follow it down and we really want to hype things up and get people excited about what we're excited about is a big part of it. Yeah, definitely. You can tell that Discmania's marketing is at another level. You know, the mystery box comes to mind. I every single time it drops, it's instantly gone. Every single time a new disc comes out, it's gone within just a couple of minutes. If you're not on it, if you're not getting that 10 minute like head start for signing up for the emails, you're probably missing out and you're not gonna be able to get the drop right away. And so that's just I think that is that like a proud moment for you? Like, are you proud to be like all of our products sells out dang near instantly. Or is it almost like a fear thing? Like we physically are not going to be able to make everyone happy with whatever release we do. It's, it's a great thing. And obviously shows the popularity of the brand and obviously just, you know, the growth of the sport. There's so many more players out there that want to have these discs and, uh, Simon Eagle, you know, they're, they're tied and true. They're, they're, they're a big part of our success and everything they've done to promote and hype and, and build this business. Obviously now with, with uh, Kyle Klein coming into his own and, and being a top ranked player, it's great to see these top players so vested in the brand and wanting to see this company grow and they do everything they can to promote us and, and the disc selling out the way they have, it, it's exciting to see. It just really shows, you know, the drive by a lot of these disc maniacs out there. Yeah, you know, it's it's super, super exciting and happy for you guys. You know, we don't know, you know, the number side from just the perspective side. It looks like it's going well, you know, switching over to, you know, doing your own thing. It looks like, you know, you guys are doing great, a great job. You know, hopefully that success continues. You know, we could talk to you forever, but we want to get the show going, you know, get you on your way. So, you know, one thing we like to do on the show, you know, a lot of our listeners are kind of newer, you know, also pandemic players starting to wanting to grow their game, improve. You know, we try to give them something instructional, something to take away. Uh, one thing we talked about last week, we'd like to, or, you know, Chandler Fry, he said if he could have developed something earlier, would be a forehand. You know, so what's, you know, some just a quick bit on someone wanting to develop a forehand, just to have a forehand, you know, at least something to go to, you know, what would you say to, the, you know, those players? The whole build up that question, I knew you're going to say forehand. It just, it's what everybody wants to learn. Everybody... Majority of players, they learn to throw backhand. They see all the top throw, pros throwing backhand. They see them throwing forehand too, but backhand, just you gravitate to it. You see Frisbee and you see Ultimate. Everything's a lot backhand. Plus, you just get a lot of good power and control with a backhand. It's, you know, it's it's a given. But a sidearm shot, it's a, it's, it's a thing of art. And, and done and done correctly, you've got you to be able to take the disc from both sides of the fairway. You know, with a backhand shot, everything, if you're right-handed, everything's going to go straight. 
and everything over to the left, you know, when it, when it finishes and spins out and fades. Now throwing a forehand shot, you just open up and access the entire other half of the fairway by throwing a disc, not against the way it wants to fly, but allowing that disc to fly how it wants to fly and finish and fade out that way. Aside from trying to switch hands and trying to learn to a lefty backhand, you know, the forehand is the obvious choice. You know, it's trying to learn that at a very early stage in your game is, is critical to your success. You know, like you're going to save a lot of strokes and you're going to be a, a much more competitive player than those that are lacking a forehand. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very important uh, to learn at an early stage and you don't have to, you know, go out there and rip it three, three fifty, four hundred feet or off the bat, learn through stages, you know, start playing with putters and mid ranges and, Playing catch, playing catch with a frisbee is like one of the best ways to get better. No matter if you're you're throwing backhand, throwing forehand, the frisbee will show your faults. You know, if you have any kind of wobble or any kind of waver, and it's just fluttering when you throw it, you're not getting a clean release with it. You're not getting good spin on it. And if you can throw a frisbee, you can literally throw anything. And throwing a disc is so much easier than that. Um, but practicing short range, practicing with a putter, practicing with a, a, a mid range disc throwing discs back to your bag, just kind of getting the repetition down, keeping it simple, try not to make it too exaggerated. We have a bunch of um, unneeded movements and motions when you're throwing, just keeping it very simple, a nice arm swing back to front, good delivery, good follow through. You know, it's start, start early, start, start, you know, start simple is a big part of it. And there's a lot of good content out there. Um, Actually approaching our our tenth year anniversary with uh, deep in the game, I did a a free instructional online tutorial for teaching disc golf. We did five episodes, and it was the disc mania deep in the game, and it was me and UC producing these videos ten years ago, and it's been one of the most popular online instructional disc golf videos or collections. And uh, a lot of players come up to me still to this day that I I learned by watching you, or I was watching these videos when I started playing. And they've helped me out a lot. So if you're looking for a little more in-depth on that, you know, that's that's a good resource. There's a lot of good videos online and on YouTube. That's where a lot of a lot of players learn how to play disc golf these days by watching top pros in competition, playing tournaments, but they also watching them, you know, on on YouTube videos. And there's a lot of instruction out there. Back in the day when we played, we watched, you know, we we saw our competitors, we saw top players we're playing against. That's how we learned, or we might get uh, you know, uh, maybe a little coaching from them or a little side lesson from them, but we didn't have the access to information, um, especially of being a better player like players do these days. When you're learning to forehand, what are maybe some discs that you would recommend in Discmania's lineup to try out and just kind of experiment with? Should you just go for something that's super overstable and just really practice that let that left to right kind of flight or should you try to go with something understable and try to get the disc to go to the left straight to the right what, what would you say you're looking for neutrality you're looking for something that's very neutral it doesn't have a lot of motion or movement to it um you're looking for a disc that you float you throw flat that holds a nice flat straight line and finishes flat and straight down the middle of the fairway you're not trying to have something where it's overstable or drastically understable that has a lot of motion or movement. It's really hard to predict it and control that kind of disc. Um, so when you're looking for something neutral, something that's going to fly, 
neutral for most skill levels or arm speeds. That's usually what it comes down to. Players, there's a lot of players that throw hard. There's a lot of players that don't throw as hard. But trying to find something that's just going to handle a good wide range of of arm speeds. And if you're looking at the the Dismania lineup, you know we have a lot of great putters that fly straight. Um, P2 is what I like, but it's slightly more overstable. Um, I know a lot of players like the Link. A lot of players like the Logic. Those are really straight-flying putters. Uh, for our mid-range, pretty easy. It's an MD1. It's a it's a mid-range that Simon absolutely loves throwing. It's this mid-range, super neutral in flight. They call it stable. Not overstable, not understable, but stable when it flies straight. And if you put a little angle on it, Anheuser, it'll hold that line. You put a little hyzer angle on it, it holds that line as well. It's just a very controllable disc that you can manipulate and change angles on and just flies exactly how you want it. And then when you move up in speeds, the, F, the FD, the FD, the fairway driver, it's been our our staple disc. Um, and there's been a lot of uh, other manufacturers making very similar discs because of the success of the FD. And it's just this disc that you can throw straight and hard and flat, and that's how it flies. Um, and you can start changing the angles and doing different things with it, but it's just very predictable and that's what you want as a as a newer player something that's just easy to learn point and shoot if you throw it flat and straight that's the way it goes and if you want to start kind of experiment with different angles a hyzer line or anhyzer lines you can start doing that too and it's a good way to learn and progress as a player awesome you know we have our five ace ace round questions that we ask every single person we have on and i think you just answered our first question of what you would recommend a player go out and buy, you know, Logic, MD1, and FD. You know, I think those are perfect for definitely a new player. You can throw backhand, sidearm. So, you know, I think our first question there is done, Quentin. Yeah, I, I would agree. So I think then well, we should get into this hot take because I'm excited to hear it. And then I'll just transition us back into the ace round and I'll kick us off with question two. So Avery, what is your disc golf hot take? So yeah, my hot take is just, Everybody wants to be sponsored. Everybody wants to be a sponsored athlete. It's definitely a, a prestigious thing. It's a an accolade that a lot of players they want they want justification for what they've done and what they want to accomplish. Everybody wants to be sponsored at some level. Um, manufacturer sponsors that's kind of the the ticket. That's the the higher echelon within our sport now. Obviously, there's not a any any athletes sponsored by Nike or Adidas or that level outside the sport, but a disc manufacturer sponsorship, making certain you know elite teams and and having a signature disc and and certain royalties, that's everything that you work towards. Nowadays, um, there's a lot of players that are that are giving a lot of uh, a lot of perks or a lot of things that they may have not earned yet. Um, I'm old school. I come from the old school where you had to go out there and compete and play and win and earn certain things and not just given certain things because of who you are and what your social media following is and, and the cool videos you've done. I like players that go out there and earn it the right way. They win and they get moved up. They get top tier, you know, credentials and they get royalties, they get signature discs and they get taken care of by that sponsor. And I realize there's a lot more players out there and there's only certain spot, you know, so many sponsorships to go around, but there's a lot of other companies and, you know, apparel companies to shoe companies to do different, different accessory companies, if you will, a lot of product out there. And there's a lot of little mini sponsorships or pro shop sponsorships, but to be sponsored by a manufacturer at a high level, I just feel it's something that a player needs to earn 
and not just be given. And that's something, again, I, I've seen throughout the years and more so now than ever. And back in the day, there was very few sponsored professional players. And all those players that did, you know, get to that point and, and were sponsored, they earned it every step of the way. Yeah, you know, I totally agree. You know, I think we saw that this year with some of those new contracts and, you know, maybe other stuff, people jumping around. I feel like there's more money, you know, there's more because there's more money and some people, some athletes aren't doing it maybe for that same. That's not, you know, that's not the right way to say it. But I guess, do you think that money might might ruin the game a little bit? I guess kind of, you know, you're old school. You have to go out and earn it. Um, you're doing it for that passion, the love of disc golf. Do you think that the added money that's coming into the sport might ruin it a little bit or make people play for the wrong reasons? That's a great question and something I never really thought about. I think everybody's playing for the, the right reasons. I think everybody's playing because they love the sport and love the game and, and like to compete. Um, I just I just really think that a lot of players haven't haven't taken that next step. They haven't done anything. They haven't really done anything or won big tournaments enough to, you know, achieve that and, and be given that. And so that's one thing I've seen from a lot of a lot of new players that have been around for a couple of years and they haven't done anything yet. They haven't even got their feet wet really yet in the sport. And there's players out there that have been doing it for, you know, 8, 10, 12 years that have really, truly been on the grind and been out there winning tournaments and playing long seasons. Those are the ones that, you know, that's the time you start kind of giving these players the perks that they do. Um, a lot of players have been around a couple of years and they're and they're signing big money contracts. And again, it's it's based on social media following and other things that they hype up when they didn't truly deserve that quite yet not saying they, they're not deserving of it but they haven't deserved it and earned it quite yet yeah and it, it makes sense as well because you want people who are going to win and i think that's almost a safer way to get that roi at the end of the day because if you are banking on somebody's social media to come through well what happens if all of a sudden you know let's say instagram takes their account away for whatever reason or they lose the ability to market and get disc sales like they were then you could really be taking a big hit and i i know horatio you and i have talked about it a lot where there could be some companies out there who in 4 years when these contracts are up they might not give this type of money out again because of the failures in winning, getting better, performing at the highest level of the people that they gave sponsorships to this year. So it kind of leads me to my last question, I guess, before ready for the ace round is, is that part of Discmania's strategy when going out and looking for players? Or, or is there more of that focus on what are you doing right now in the sport to win? What are you doing right now to grow your game instead of growing your social media? And how can you sell more discs for me? Because obviously the marketing on your own end is very, very good, if not the best. So I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just connecting two dots in my head by myself, but is that something you've ever even thought of before? So I, I what we search for, again, we, we search for talent. But we also search for good individuals and individuals that represent the company well, whether it's good disc reviews or good social media presence. You're looking for the full package. Um, again, there's a lot of players out there that aren't even quite that level yet, and they're more that mid-level or they might not even cash in at tournaments and, and really put any kind of show at a, at a disc golf pro tour event or these big you know, elite series events. And they have a great social media. They have they have funny clips and funny videos, and they got that kind of popularity because they're a player, 
and they're a pro player and they might even be on tour at some point. It's just, it's the world we live in now. You know, again, you don't have to be the best to have, have fans and that, and that's fine. But it's, it's cool to see the spread of popularity across the board to all levels of play. But again, the ones that truly earned their spot. Um, and again, on the, on the team manager side, I'm looking for good individuals, good players and, and players that are going to represent well and bottom line stuff. You know, you you are trying to, at the end of the day, you are trying to sell discs and sell product and the ones that are, you know, hold true to your, your brand and your company. It's, it's, it's a good relationship and a good partnership. Cause that's what sponsorship is. It's not just about the company giving the player all this and all that and everything they want, but it's also about the player giving back to the sponsor in ways that promote and uh, help market and, and sell product to yeah, I love that answer. All right, well, hey, let's jump into the ace round. We, Like I said, we have already covered the first question a little bit earlier. So these are the same five questions that we like to ask all of our guests, see how the answers differ, and these are definitely very helpful for those newer players. So we've already talked about discs that you would recommend. Let's talk about what is the favorite course you have played and what is one course you've yet to play that you have on your bucket list? Wow. Um an answer I've given for a long time and it's, and very deserving of it. Um, my favorite course in the world and a course I could play pretty much every day if, if given the chance is Yarva disc golf park in Stockholm, Sweden. It's been home to, uh, many major Swedish championships. Um, it's, it's an iconic course within, within Sweden it's 27 holes, uh, kind of rolling landscape. It's actually three different nines. So it's like a three leaf clover, if you will, one through nine, 10 through 18, 19 through 27. And what they do for the, the bigger events or the bigger major events is they play the best 18 holes, but they might have the tee pad of one go to the basket of two, tee pad of three go to the basket of four, and they turn these par threes essentially into long par fours or fives in some cases. And just the way it links up and, and kind of just the way it all really comes together as far as a, a full course on 18 level at a very elite, you know, top tournament venue. And it's manicured pristine, like manicured grass and the beautiful trees and the cool landscape. They got a pro shop on, on site. They got a restaurant on site, like everything that you'd want to have almost in that, disc golf clubhouse if you will or country club they got it and just they got a cool driving range and people hanging out it's just i love the vibe and the feel energy of of what that course brings it's always been a favorite of mine and it and for the longest time up until the last couple of years it was the number one ranked uh course in the world up until about maybe a year and a half ago two years ago when maple hill finally took the ranks of that but yarva has always been a a, a great course for me and a, and a favorite of mine and so again, I, I played a lot of courses. I, as you're mentioning, uh, I just crested and surpassed 1,300 courses throughout the throughout the world, uh, 21 countries, 49 states. Uh, always out there collecting, playing, checking out new courses, whenever possible. I want to check off some more countries this year. Is the goal. I'm actually doing a, a disc golf course design, a disc golf park design, uh, in partnership with the Paul Macbeth Foundation. I'm flying over to Montenegro over uh, in Europe. It's uh, just across the water from Italy, south of Croatia, south of Serbia. And there's not another disc golf course for literally hundreds of miles. And so with our partnership with Dismania Disc Golf Park, partnering with the Paul McBeth Foundation, 
I'm getting the opportunity to go over there and design a course. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm going over there to scout it out in May and then coming back in June to, um, on the scouting part, I'm scouting and mapping, marketing, designing it, and then coming back in June where we're going to do a full build, install, and then do clinics and a grand opening um, when Paul gets there. So really excited about that. And hopefully, uh, you know, I get another another country on, on the on the ticket and but also looking to play some other other courses while I'm in the area. Maybe uh, maybe a stop in uh, Austria, maybe a stop in Slovenia. There's a few other countries I want to I want to check off the list. But back to your question, is there is there a course that has been on my list for a while. And there's, there's several, um, I have a bucket list full of courses, courses I've heard about forever, even newer courses that people are talking about. Um, there's a course we just, just got brought up today in conversation. There's a course in Columbia, Missouri called Eagles landing. I know, uh, I think Simon was out there, put together a video. I never saw the video. I think I saw clips. Maybe, um, a lot of people are talking about that one. Uh, there's a course in Pennsylvania come muddy run. It's supposed to be a really, really cool course. Uh, Diavola, there's one in North Carolina that that ranks fairly high. Hillcrest Farms up in uh, Prince Edward Island up in Canada is another one that's really highly ranked and rated that I want to check out. Um, yeah, there's there's <laughs> you know at least a couple dozen courses that are on my wish list that are top rated or ranked courses that I want to play. But I played a majority of the ones that are even, you know, when UDISC releases their top hundred, I've played, you know, roughly about 80 or 85 of those, but I'm always in search. I always want to check out the the next great thing and see what all the hype's about. And again, learn from what, you know, designers have done, what they implemented, what they added or certain features they really accented on a course and see how I can really, develop it and with my expertise try to you know integrate in a lot of course designs that i i put in the ground yeah you know i think that's one of the most beautiful things about disc golf and also kind of that adds to that allure and addiction is that the places it takes you and like just the places that you can discover and going to and like every course is different you know soccer basketball you go play it in a gym you know whatever it's the same but disc golf you know even if you're not a great player you just going and testing out a new course, you know, different landscapes, seeing somewhere else, you know, getting, having a list of how many you can knock out, you know, people get really hooked into that, like how many courses they can play and, you know, adding to those numbers. You know, I think that's one thing that's super, super cool about disc golf. Um, but next question we got for you here is, you know, one tip you would give to yourself when you started out. So, you know, real quick, let me, let me add on the last part before we ask this question. It's something that's been on my list for a while, exactly how you described it right there. Like I want to write an article and and really elaborate on exactly what you just said because you hit it perfectly. A basketball court's a basketball court and a baseball field's a baseball field. Where does that take you? But a disc golf course, where that takes you, like where I've been, where I've the miles I've traveled and the hours I've spent traveling and the money I've spent to get to most of these courses is can't even fathom how much I've spent on, 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 on planes, trains, automobiles to get to certain courses and travel and get to these certain destinations. But some of these courses will take you off the beaten path so far up roads and side mountains that you would have no other reason to be there yet. There's a disc golf course out there. There's no reason you'd be up on the side of that cliff or on the side of that mountain or out in this pasture back in the woods. Other than there's a disc golf course out there that you heard about and your friend told you about, or you saw it online, or you saw a cool video, 
and you're like going out there on this cool adventure, this disc golf adventure to go play this cool course. That's where disc golf takes you. It takes you to the off the beaten paths, these really cool areas and properties and destinations that that other things you don't get experience. And the experience that provides um, is unmatched. And I, I want to write in length um, kind of what I do as a course collector and the courses I played. But that's the reason. That's exactly the reason you hit it perfectly. Yeah, you know, and it's something that you don't necessarily have to stop because you get old. You know, a lot of people, you know, especially in America, you retire, you buy the camper, or the RV, and you go, you know, travel across the country. If you're a disc golf player, you know, you can do that into, you know, if 50s, 60s, as long as you stay healthy and continue that journey of searching for courses. You know, it's not something that you have to do when you're young. You know, you can be an old man and still finding a new course to play. So that's super, super cool. Yep, that's exactly it. You said 50s, yep, 60s, super next- old. <laughs> You young guys. No, I'm 27, so. Yeah, I'm sure. Walk, you can still play disc golf, and that's that's the best thing about it. Yeah. Yeah, eight, yeah. I know there's a guy in I think Japan or China or somewhere who's like 90 or 80 who still plays. To one, to some point, you know, you won't be able to. You won't be able to, and that sucks. So play while you can. Um, but yeah, next question we got for you here. Is you know, let's say maybe when you started or before you went on that fifteen-year you know tour, what's one tip you would give to yourself? Tip to give to myself: um, being a touring player, it's it's again, it seems like a lavish life, but you you sacrifice a lot. You you're on the road and you're having the time of your life, and you're tra- you're traveling to really cool destinations, and you're playing a lot of really cool courses, and and being on the scene and playing tournaments, awesome. But there's a lot of things you uh, sacrifice, you know, within, you know, relationships, um, within family, within just being around, you know, your friends. You sacrifice that to chase down, you know, your your passion of going out there and traveling and playing. Um, and then one thing I really loved about traveling and, and being on the tour was I got to enjoy all these places I traveled to. Um, one thing, when I took Simon out on tour in 2014, I was kind of showing him the ropes and showing him what disc golf tour is all about. Disc golf tour means different things to different people. A lot of players, they're out there for just the grind, out there playing tournament weekend to weekend to weekend, traveling, practicing, playing on to the next A to B kind of thing. And I like the slow roll. I like to, I like to enjoy where I'm traveling to. You know, if I'm in Arizona, I'm going to the Grand Canyon. You know, if you're 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 up in New York, you're going to Times Square. You're going to Manhattan. You get to enjoy other things on these travels and on these trips. And it would always call it Monday Fun Day. That was the thing on tour where you set aside Monday after the tournament, a day you're not throwing discs anyways, and going out there and checking out sites and landmarks and cool place to be and just enjoying where you're traveling to. That's a big part of it. Um, so full circle, what's, uh, what's one thing I would advice I'll give to myself, um, just slow down and enjoy, enjoy your travels, enjoy where you're going, where you're, where you're going to be the people and, and places that you go and people that you surround yourself with and the places you go. That's, that's very important. Uh, life happens too fast. And I, I look back at those times and I reminisce and reflect on those times, how great they were. And I miss them. I, I love, I love my family. I love my wife and love my kids. 
and I, and I love this part of my life right now. It's, it's great. But I do look back at those times when I had a little bit less responsibility of, and just enjoying being a disc golfer and enjoying that to the fullest. Talk to a lot of younger kids, uh, a lot of younger players on my team. I'm like, I'm very jealous of what they could do. And I've been there and I know what they're going through. And every time I talk to them, I'm like, man, just enjoy what you're doing now because it doesn't last as long as you want it to. Um, but it's just, just enjoy the, just enjoy the ride, enjoy the disc golf adventure of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. And I think that's something that everyone can, the next time they hit the first tee pad at the course, they can, you know, maybe take an extra deep breath or whatever, and just really live in the moment and enjoy it. So yeah, I really love that. Fourth question we have for you. And we have already kind of talked about this in the, in the beginning of the episode, what is your favorite memory in disc golf? I assume we're going to go back to the 2009 world championship where you both had won the world championship. If that's the answer, could you maybe describe a little bit more detail? Like, did you know that she had already won the world championship and you were going to connect the dots or was it vice versa? You know, maybe just a little bit more behind the scenes. If it's not that I'd love to hear the answer to it. There's lots of things in the top 10. That's, that's the number one. It's, it's obviously what kind of solidified my place in the sport is the ultimate goal of winning a world championship. That's a goal of every top professional in the sport is to win a world title. Um, and so it, you know, my mom being a three-time world champion, my sister up until that time was a two-time world champion. We're hanging out with Nate Doss and several other friends that are world champions or, or former world champions. And it's just something you want to be part of that club. It's a very elite, very prestigious club you want to be part of, but it just puts you on this kind of top shelf. And it's it's a personal thing. It's it's an accolade that you want to earn for yourself, for no one else but yourself. Um, but, my, you know, Playing throughout the week, it was something that was on my mind the entire time. I was so driven, and I just knew it was knew it was my time. Not being cocky in any way, but it just felt like everything was aligning and everything was setting up to be what it is and what was supposed to happen. Um, but even going into the the finals and the final nine, um, my sister had it locked down pretty good. She had a pretty good lead before the final nine. She kind of had just a kind of a walk in the park final nine to, to win it and lock down her third consecutive world title. And we made a promise to each other that if she wins hers, I got to win mine. I got to hold up my end of the bargain. And so when I went out there, played my final nine, it wasn't a walk in the park. And, you know, Josh Anthon, he, he played out of his mind. He played great. I made a few mistakes. He caught up. We tied after nine holes. And then we went into a five hole sudden death where the next player to win a hole wins the entire tournament and we battled through and it finished on the fifth hole where he pulled his shot about 40 to the right. I put mine up there about 22 feet, him being a phenomenal putter. He makes everything, anything within range of 50, you know, he's a phenomenal putter, really good putter. And he missed wide right on a, on a putt from 40 feet and it was really the setup for a 22-footer, a, a putt that I've made literally thousands of times. But under that kind of pressure with thousands of people surrounding you, kind of putting yourself in the moment. And one of the things that I probably love the most was within that moment, everything kind of slows down, which is weird. I think people have said it as well. But things slow down. And within me, I was just trying to say to myself, do this again. You've done it. Why is this putt different than any other time you face this 22 footer in your backyard? And so I kind of just went back to a, a happy place, 
at the putting basket in my backyard and let everything else disappear. It was just me and the basket. And to to knock down a 22 footer with all the, you know, all the chips on the table and everybody surrounding you is, it was a glorious, incredible, exhilarating moment where when I won, I was uh, so amped up and so pumped up that I was like, I'm a Leo and I'm very kind of out there and, and very boisterous and outgoing. And I was roaring like a lion when, when I hit that last pot, it was, it was everything that I, I worked towards and worked for and everything accumulated to that one moment. Um, so yeah, it was by far the most special moment that I've had the, the pleasure of experiencing in the, in the sport of disc golf. You know, I can't imagine your parents, you know, how ecstatic, you know, having two world champions, you know, win the same, I bet they were over, overjoyed. Um, pretty special. My, my dad was, uh, caddying. my dad was caddying for me actually on that, on that final nine and having both my parents there and my sister there, like doesn't get any better when you're, when you're surrounded by family, my girlfriend, now my wife, Leah was there and she was kind of in the, in the background in the distance, but you know, to have all that good energy and that good vibe of your family and your loved ones around you is, you know, all good things and, and meant to be. Um, but it's, it's everything we work towards, like I said, and to be part of that, part of that glorious club, elite club and, it's everything we work for, for, for decades. Um, all the, all the rainy cold weekends of out there playing tournaments when you didn't want to, it, it all came together and it made sense why you were doing what you're doing for as long as you have. Yeah. You know, that's, that's amazing. You know, not many people, you know, can have, you know, those kind of memories, you know, with their families, especially, I feel like makes it extra special. Um, but last question we got for you here is what is the biggest mistake you see new players make? Well, a popular one is throwing discs that, uh, you know, they can't handle. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of top pros. We, we throw the fastest, farthest flying discs out there. You want to be a top pro or you want to throw farther, you're going to throw what the top pros are throwing. Um, and you're going to get the speed 12, speed 13 discs. The the discs that you need a, a good strength and good arms, arm speed to really control and put out there at a good distance. And that's probably one of the biggest things, probably the most common answer for any of these questions was trying to um, throw a disc that is not suitable for you as a, as a beginner player. Um, but be patient. You know, it's it's a progress like anything else. You can't just jump into it and think it's throwing a Frisbee in the park and it's easy. You know, and you think about every other sport that you really got to practice at and put in the hours and the time and the work to get to that level, basketball, to baseball, to, to golf, one of the hardest sports in the entire world. You got to put a lot of time in there and you can't just think I'm going to put up, pick up a Frisbee because I've seen all these other people and that make it look easy and do that. Be patient, be patient with the process you know, work on your game, work short range and build up to mid range and build out longer, um, work on your putting game. It's always going to come down to be the most important part of your game. That short game is everything and, uh, just enjoy it. Have fun with it. You know, don't put any added pressure on yourself, you know, unless you're, you're playing with your money is you're playing with your buddies and you have money on the line or something. It's, it's not about, it's, it's about having fun, being outside, enjoying a, a one of the best sports in the world. Um, and just, enjoying enjoying the sport of disc golf love that answer avery love this episode man this was so much fun learned a ton from you where can people connect with you on social media where can they maybe they want you to come out and design their next course where can people connect with you that'd be fantastic um all social media platforms uh facebook instagram twitter it's a typical avery jenkins handle um 
I don't have a YouTube channel yet, and I'm definitely not on TikTok. So, but I'm very active on the on the other platforms and can be contacted at any time. A lot of Instagram. I get a lot of contacts, a lot of DMs on Instagram for even business related things as far as uh, disc golf park course designs and such. So it's it's been great. But man, the popularity of the sport. It's, it's everything we've been waiting for, and I'm very excited to see what the next level is and what the next step is. As being part of this sport for decades now, it's really good time to be alive and really enjoying where uh, where this glorious, amazing sport has taken us thus far. Yeah, you know, well, thank you so much for taking the time sitting down with us. You don't know how much we appreciate it. And one of the great things about this sport, kind of where we are right now, is the ability for, you know, you know, two newer players like us being able to sit down with a world champion and talk about disc golf, about what we love, you know, what, what disc golf does and brings people together. It's amazing. And we really appreciate, you know, your time and, you know, best of luck. Can't wait to play some of these courses. I'm sure we'll try to make it down there in Oklahoma this year, go down there in a weekend, check out that course. And, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe in a few years we see another Jenkins world champion. You know, that would be really cool. Keep that family family legacy going so super exciting you know best of luck to you this year your travels uh very very jealous of you going to montenegro you know that sounds really tough and you know hopefully you enjoy yourself i'll do my best i'll do my best it's uh again it's it's not easy work but it's you know it's one of those things where you you do what you love you love what you do you know it's one of those driving passions of life and I set myself up for this you know a long time ago being involved in the sport of disc golf and I'm I'm very grateful for how how far it's taken me thus far so I'll do my best to enjoy myself on on the travels out there as as I always do and 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 live the life of disc golf but I appreciate your time guys thanks for uh reaching out and contacting me and and setting up uh this interview um been great to hear some of these questions definitely some questions i haven't answered in the past which is which is refreshing as well um but a lot of good insight and it's good to see uh the the, you know the growth of sports in good hands with you guys